welcome to the other side of midnight on September 12th. Greetings wherever you might be, whatever your time of day is, to our family around the planet. This is Kinthea, producer for the other side of midnight.com, and I'm holding space for Richard, who, where he is living, is being. Uh, how shall I say, the dust and debris is intense. I live close to the California fires, and a couple days ago, the skies were red where I live. And the air was actually fresh because it was high in the jet stream, carrying that to New Mexico where Richard was. And three days ago, the index for air pollution was at 1240. Didn't know it could go that high. Today, fortunately, the air is calm and it's much, much better, but the congestion that it created for Richard has made it really difficult for him to even be able to speak right now. So I invite you all to send him good thoughts uh, as he recovers from this congestion. We find ourselves in critical times. Parts of the world are on fire. Other parts are freezing. All this is compounded by the forced lockdown and destruction of lives and livelihood. And most of all, the paralyzing reaction to deep fear being programmed into us and the revelation of hidden agendas and betrayals. So we ask ourselves, how did we get here? When and how was our first destiny hijacked. Tonight, we are honored to have several members of the Lawyers Committee for 911 Inquiry, along with Matt Campbell, to join us in a discussion of profound discovery. Here is a brief highlight of our guests. You can find fuller bios on tonight's guest show page on the other side of midnight.com. Tonight's banner is called 911 Justice Matters. If you're looking for it in the future, and it is September 12th. The overall mission of the Lawyers Committee for 911 Inquiry is to develop and implement a detailed legal strategy to achieve transparency and accountability under the law regarding unprosecuted crimes of 911 and now, in addition, the anthrax attack. Dave Meiswinkle, a practicing criminal defense attorney in New Jersey since 1989, is the current president of Lawyers Committee for 911, along with a board member. Attorney Mick Harrison is a litigation director of the Lawyers Committee for 911 Inquiry, as well as a public interest lawyer in private practice. Harrison has 25 years of experience litigating whistleblower protection lawsuits and environmental protection citizen suits nationwide. Architect Richard Gage is a San Francisco Bay Area architect of 30 years, a member of the American Institute of Architects, and the founder and president of Architects and Engineers for 911 Truth. And of course, Barbara Honiger. She's on the board and an officer on the Lawyers Committee, as well as a member of the Grand Jury Petition Drafting Committee. 
Barbara served as a White House policy analyst, director of the Attorney General's Law Review at the Department of Justice. And from 1995 to 2011, Barbara was the senior military affairs journalist at the Naval Postgraduate School, which is our Department of Defense Pentagon School of Premier Science Technology and the National Security Affairs Graduate Research University. So folks, we all want justice for those who gave their lives in this tragic event. Here's how you can help us bring to justice the criminals behind these heinous crimes by supporting the Lawyers Committee for 911 Inquiry by going to lc411.org. That's LC for Lawyers Committee for FOR911.org. There you will find a donation button and the new Anthrax Congressional Petition. Matt Campbell is the brother of Jeff Campbell, who died in the World Trade Center at 911. His efforts for justice are featured in the 911 documentary Incontrovertible and he has spoken at numerous 911 events. He continues to press officials in the UK and the US to achieve justice for Jeff. And Barbara, dear, please come on and fill in that sentence that got clipped. Welcome, Barbara. Are you Hi, there? Cynthia, can you hear me? Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, just to complete my bio, uh, I am also on the board and an officer of the Lawyers Committee, in addition uh, to being on the petition drafting committee. Um, Okay. And the rest of my bio um, that you got out, part of the first sentence, um, is that from 1995, actually to 2011, not 2001, I was the senior military affairs journalist at the Naval Postgraduate School, which is our Department of Defense, DODs, the Pentagon's um, premier science, technology, and national security affairs graduate research university. So um, that that completes my bio. <laughs> Thank you. And if I may, I'd like to also add that I, in sometime in the very, very soon few minutes, I will be joined by my co-hosts, Timothy Saunders and Annette Driscoll, Um, We are hosting The Other Side of the News on Friday night, so they will be joining me as well. It was a (laughs) last-minute event for them, and they will drop in when they are able to. So, Barbara, I'd like to uh, turn it over to you. I know you have an idea of how you'd like this conversation to go. Uh, Thank you for uh, letting me open. Um, I'd just like everybody to know that Um, uh, we're wishing Richard Hoagland all good health and uh, we're hoping that that jet stream (laughs) moves all that uh, smoke from the fires up really high and and, uh, hopefully maybe to the moon or beyond. Yes, Uh, or to Mars. (laughs) Or to Mars, right? Right, exactly. Mars needs more atmosphere whether it's got smoke in it or not. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so the next thing I'd like to say is that um, for those listeners who are new tonight and weren't on the other side of the news last night, um, we had a wonderful two-hour show with you and Timothy and Anetta, and it's just as delightful to have you as our host again tonight. That's number two. And number three is I'd just like to say that it has been a wild ride. 
uh, for us in the Lawyers Committee on the Board and the Anthrax Petition Research and Drafting Committee that we're all on on the program tonight, not Richard Gage and Matt, but those of us from the Lawyers Committee, the three of us. And it's been a wild ride. Um, we have made our deadline, and it is a phenomenal document which literally proves, absolutely proves, that the government's Lee Harvey Oswald patsy of the anthrax letter attacks, Bruce Ivins, did not do it and could not have done it, and goes a long way uh, in the petition on the evidence of which uh, U.S. government slash military slash military government contractor laboratories uh, almost certainly did. So uh, it's, it's an incredible document, and uh, we are filing that with the Congress. You're going to hear more about that from, from David uh, and Mick and myself later as well. And for now, I'd just like to say what an honor it is to be associated with the Lawyers Committee and I'd just like to, as I did last night, read the famous quote from Margaret Mead. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. That's the famous anthropologist Margaret Mead. And I believe this in the depth of my being. And that's why I'm reading again tonight. And I just want everybody to know that our Lawyers Committee is that organization right now. And to prove that to you, and I may, I may, my voice may break up as I say this, but this afternoon or on the East Coast time this evening, the second of three days of Richard Gage's Architects and Engineers Conference, online conference, called Justice Rising, for good reason, because of our Lawyers Committee work for 9-11 Truth and account Legal Accountability, on Richard's second day today, he had David Ray Griffin, the dean of the 9-11 Truth Movement, who has written 12 books, if you can imagine, on 9-11, facts and evidence. And David Ray Griffin, at the very end of that long session that was also also involved Niels Herrett and Professor Stephen Jones, two professors. And so David Ray Griffin was asked by Richard Gage at the very end, what gives you hope for the movement? And after a pause, Professor Griffin said, the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. That's how important we are. So I'll turn it over to Dave. I want to thank you, Barbara, and the Lawyers Committee for all of humanity, really, because this work is so needed to reveal the truth and uh, appreciate all the dedication and time and energy you've put into bringing these revelations to us. We need to know, and um, on behalf of all of us, I say thank you. You're welcome. Hey, so, Dave? Sure. Dave? Yes, uh, uh, thanks, Barbara. That was, that was uh, a good intro there by you. You know, I didn't realize that uh, David Ray Griffith said that. That's humbling, and yes, it, uh, actually, it actually it puts an extra uh, burden on you in a, in a sense. You know, it's like uh, sometimes you don't see the forest for the trees, or you don't see yourself, or you know, us as an organization, as to what we uh, represent. You just get out there and you plug away because you're motivated, probably since you were young, to uh, try to realize the truth, to fight you know, bad things and 
but uh, to hear that from uh, David Ray Griffin is, is quite an honor. I, I you know, I, I'm almost speechless uh, by what you just said, Barbara. But, I know. Uh, I, I was weeping right after he said it, Dave. Sure. But to, to put it into context, now I did this the other day in a Jason Goodman show. And, and I the, uh, I'm hearing an echo. Yeah, there's an echo. I don't know why that is. Do, do you hear it still? No. It, there it's gone. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I... Uh, I did a quote, too. I think we all have favorite quotes. I have a, a lot of my favorite quotes come from the Founding Fathers. But uh, putting it into the uh, context, though, of where we are and what we're dealing with uh, when we talk about 9-11 and all the other issues that uh, are spawned from 9-11 and, and things that before 9-11, uh, this comes to my mind, and it's to me it, uh, it, it empowers me in a sense. It, uh, it goes like this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that comes from Ephesians 6.12 in the Bible. And uh, it just sort of like stirs me and puts me into some type of context that uh, uh, dealing with the evil before us, all right? <laughs> so uh, what we're talking about is 9-11, and of course that's the most outrageous criminal act in the history of our nation, and uh, it was uh, pitifully not properly investigated. Uh, the link we have with architects and engineers is that for years, uh, they plowed the ground, and they uh, they created a lot of evidence, and they rallied a lot of people to try to find the truth. You know, when they talk about 9/11 truth, uh, that's that's where it begins, and uh, the lawyers are a later phenomena, uh, more recent in the last few years. But what we've been able to do is to uh, gather the evidence that they did. They had gathered and put it in a legal format and get it into the court of law, where we're trying now to uh, get a grand jury petition. We have a grand jury petition, but try to get a grand jury in the Southern District in Manhattan, and that's where the Twin Towers were in Building 7 and all that controversy. And certainly you could take up many shows, uh, you know, if, if you wanted to go and talk about all that evidence, and maybe we will today and with Richard on and Matt. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get into it. But what we did is uh, we took the next step, and we're waiting right now, and Mick is uh, litigating that. Uh, uh, we're waiting, waiting right now for a judge to uh, render a decision one way or another, and if he uh, rules in our favor, it'll be a landmark, I think, and it'll be a reason to celebrate for sure. And uh, it may, uh, uh, you know, take some of the, uh, the jadedness that we look at our court system away from us uh, if we get a positive ruling. And if he uh, rules against us, we're going to appeal it. So uh, the our action there in New York was symbolic, and uh, not symbolic, but historic, really. Uh, what we're doing right now, though, and what Barbara alluded to, and, uh, and before I get into that, what we would like to do as an organization is that the government has been so poor at investigating this outrageous crime where 3,000 people were murdered 
and people are still dying from the, the toxins from that day. The first responders uh, terribly, uh, you know, were are victims of that. Uh, but uh, what we uh, want to do is uh, to examine all the crime scenes. So we start with New York, and and uh, now we're uh, into uh, and doing anthrax investigation. And after this, uh, and of course we're going to spend a lot, I think most of the time talking about that, uh, we have other plans to do uh, government misconduct and obstruction, which you can imagine how large a grand jury petition that would be. We have to decide whether we're going to segment that into se separate areas because almost uh, every go government department is, seems to be, at least on the, on the surface, uh, guilty or of, of some sort of uh, uh, misconduct or obstruction. In other words, the, the crime should have never happened. And if they did happen, they should have been properly investigated. And either uh, the prevention or the uh, proper remediation has been done. Uh, and then there's Shanksville. You may know that. That's uh, flight, uh, United Flight 93 that uh, mysteriously uh, crashes, uh, allegedly, in Pennsylvania. And there's all types of uh, questions that raises, which we've looked at some of those questions. And then the very controversial Pentagon, where there's a number of different theories from, you know, incredibly uh, brilliant people. <laughs> and they uh, have all different ways to look at uh, what uh, hit the Pentagon and what happened there. And that's where American 77, uh, you know, allegedly crashed into the Pentagon. But uh, now we're faced, not faced, we... Uh, for the last six months, we have a uh, broke down into a basically an anthrax committee uh, of seven people, and uh, there are four attorneys on that. And Mick and myself are are two of the attorneys, and John O'Kelly, who's one of our board members out of New York, and Bill Jacoby too out of New York. Both uh, uh, well, Bill, Bill Jacoby's not on that committee. I'm sorry, but uh, Jane Clark out of Texas is on that committee, and. Uh, and then there's uh, there's three uh, incredible uh, researchers. Barbara is one of them, and, and Graham McQueen, you may know. And, and we have a third uh, incredible woman who uh, is involved also. And uh, what uh, we've done is we put together a, uh, a document that was drafted uh, recently by, by Mick. Uh, how we work, we uh, get uh, drafts. And we all have input into them, and we all make suggestions, and and then Mick does contours it to uh, you know what seems to be appropriate, and uh, then we agree on how how well it's written, and uh, and if it's uh, factual, and if it, it it strikes the court, it does what it's supposed to do, and uh, we have, as Barbara said, a document that has been now submitted, uh, or is in the process of being submitted to Congress uh, shortly, and it. it, it them to get involved. Now, this is a little different than in, in New York City. In New York City, we're asking for a grand jury. And uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, previously, uh, there was a grand jury uh, concerning the anthrax. What happened was that when a, uh, the alleged suspect was uh, died, uh, they said that he was the, the guy, and they just closed it down. And uh, but we found out, though, as we want it reopened. But even more than that, we want Congress to look at it because of of a lot of uh, problems that we've seen and others have seen before us. 
and in particular, as Barbara mentioned, uh, Bruce Ivins, who's, or Dr. Ivins, who was a, a world's expert himself in anthrax and vaccines. He, he created vaccines. Uh, he was very uh, beloved by his uh, compatriots, by people that he worked with. And we were able to make contact with some of them. And uh, three uh, colonels are uh, basically witnesses that, that, uh, to his, uh, his, his good character. And they gave us declarations that are in our, our, our uh, exhibit list that support the, uh, the grand jury petition. And they not only testify to his character, but they also testify to the fact that at USEMRID, and that's the United States Army Medical Institute for Infectious Diseases, Fort Detrick, that they, uh, they didn't have the, uh, the uh, equipment or the knowledge to do what the government says they did. And what they say happened and what they were responsible for was in the middle of September, right after 9-11, about a week, uh, a, a, a number of letters were sent to New York City, in particular, to, uh, to Tom Brokaw, CBS, NBC, and ABC. And then about three weeks later, uh, another group of letters were sent to two United States senators, Tom Daxchel and Patrick Leahy. And these uh, gentlemen were very key in slowing down the momentum for the uh, Patriot Act, which uh, uh, the Bush-Cheney administration is really trying to push. And they just happened to get these letters, which uh, actually could have killed them many times over. Uh, there's a lot of, not controversy, but it's sort of, uh, it's, uh, it's sort of interesting. And uh, Mick can go into the finer details of this uh, type of anthrax and the, the controversy surrounding it. But the first uh, batch of anthrax was a, a cruder, a brownish type anthrax that would clump a little bit more together. The uh, second uh, 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 batch of anthrax that the U.S. senators got was the finest anthrax that anybody had seen in, in many years and ever seen, actually. Uh, it was 10 times stronger estimated than what had been previously used uh, back in 1969, Richard Nixon uh, closed down our, our bioweapons, uh, you know, uh, bioweapons output in this country, supposedly. Uh, and in 1972, a treaty was signed uh, or agreed upon to uh, limit the, uh, the bioweaponry, and it was only supposed to be used in a, uh, a defensive way to create vaccines so you don't have a small amount. Now, some countries, they didn't abide by that behind the scenes, and uh, there was some proliferation behind the scenes. And it, it seems like during the latter part of it, America, the United States may have been involved with something similar. So the uh, anthrax that was uh, uh, directed at the two U.S. senators, uh, as I said, uh, it was so uh, powerful that on one gram of it, you could fit a trillion spores, if you can believe it, a trillion spores, and I say that again, a trillion spores. When I heard that and read it, I had to read it and read it. I thought it was a misprint, but that's how incredibly sophisticated it was. So sophisticated, it's made so it goes into your lungs real easy, and the uh, the people from Fort, uh, Fort, from Yosemarid, the scientists who were studying it, first they got the Thomas Daxel stuff, 
uh, they didn't even themselves know how to handle it, and they uh, actually contaminated themselves. Twelve of them were contaminated uh, initially. So that's how, uh, you know, how uh, this was energized. It, the description, if you read it, is, is coming up the test tube. You try to look at it on a plate with your microscope, and it won't sit still. It goes off the microscope. It's alive, and it's, it's a, like, almost like it's aerosolized. It's fine. It's so fine. It's it's uh, it's like like a a vapor. Like it's like a gas. It's it's so it's it just moves. You know. So they they've never seen anything like that. So that we're trying to say that Bruce Ivins created that. And at at Fort Detrick, uh, what they create is liquid. They didn't. They don't deal with the powder stuff. That takes real sophisticated people to deal with. And that, that were beyond uh, beyond Bruce Ivins' uh, capabilities. Now, uh, Barbara mentioned that, uh, uh, I don't know if she mentioned particularly who they were, but they, uh, and, and we'll, we'll talk about it and flesh it out a little bit, but there were uh, two uh, special uh, uh, groups that were uh, really key on uh, these uh, sort of military-industrial establishment uh, type, and one was Battelle and uh, Memorial, and that's up in uh, Ohio, West Jefferson, and the other is uh, is Dugway Proving Grounds in Utah, and they are connected really to this super. Uh, well, actually, they're connected to both batches of of uh, of, of the uh, anthrax. But certainly, uh, they had the capabilities. The only ones, probably, uh, that we thus far know had the capabilities of doing that. So, what the government does. Instead of going uh, and, and looking at the, the more likely suspects, they, uh, they crunch it and they go after an unlikely suspect who has some mental health problems and they squeeze the heck out of him. Now, they had done that to pre people previous. They had done it to uh, two fellows in Pennsylvania. And I, I mentioned this yesterday. Those guys lost their job. They did it a doctor in New York. He lost his marriage. They did do a scientist named Percy Mixel. He lost his life because he uh, they made him drink. He became drinking and drinking, and they put that much pressure on you. And they they made uh, a guy named Thomas Hatfield drink and drink and drink. But uh, Hatfield was a he was a different type of guy. He was a really a strong uh, person. Uh, character not I don't say about character, but he was just of constitution. He's a warrior. He's like he's a warrior. He looks like a linebacker. And uh, he fought back and went public after they embarrassed him with uh, a circus of media coming when they were raiding his house on his warrants and everything. They had the TV cameras rolling and everything. And uh, he eventually sued them and won $5 million. And uh, then they went after Ivans to squeeze Ivans. And uh, Ivans is more fragile. They knew it. They were advised by their psychiatrists, but they kept on squeezing him. They, uh, they tried to uh, bribe his son with money and cars, and they tried to, they told his daughter uh, uh, terrible things. They confronted his wife in the mall and said, your husband's a killer, and, and uh, you know, kill five people. And uh, they did that kind of things as a family. And, Dave, uh, and Dave? Yes. Yeah, and we're almost to the break. I'd just like to give a big picture comment just before the break. And that is what you've just heard from Dave Meiswinkle, the president and executive director of the Lawyers Committee, is that not only did the Patsy, the 
FBI's and the Bush-Cheney administration's patsy for the anthrax attacks, which were a weapon of mass destruction attack, not only on our mainstream media offices, but on the Congress of the United States, the heart of our democracy. Um, what you've just heard is the evidence, and it's a, these are facts, that this was not only a weapon of mass destruction, that Bruce Ivins couldn't have done it and didn't do it, that the Mass murder perpetrators of the anthrax attacks are still at large. They still have this anthrax, and they could do it again and worse. Um, but what's in really important here uh, to know uh, is that um, this was a weapon of mass destruction and that these people are still at large. So I, I just wanted to make that big picture comment while we were getting down into the, the details of the evidence. The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from The Other Side of Midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. The other side of the news can be heard here on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, two hours, 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. I warn you, you'll miss it at your own peril. the other side of midnight. This is Kinthea standing in for Richard, and I'm joined now also by my co-hosts from the other side of the news, Annette Driscoll and Timothy Saunders, and we were just in conversation with David Meiswinkle and Barbara Honiger, who summed up the impact of the anthrax investigation and what it could happen so I'd like to welcome my co-hosts and bring you back on, David and Barbara. Okay. Timothy, Anetta. 
Good. I'll, I'll just I'll just wrap it up here and just, uh, let Mick talk a little bit. But um, what's really significant is that um, Richard Lambert was the uh, FBI inspector in charge of, of what the uh, investigation was called Amerithrex. And he uh, addressed our, our committee, our anthrax committee, for about three hours, took questions. And uh, he had, uh, after four years, he was fed up with it because of he was uh, being uh, undermined in every which way. And he wrote, when he left, a 2,000-page document, which he told us we probably could only get through a Congress. Congress could probably get it. Supposedly in that document were uh, 16 pages or so that were devoted to uh, exculpating evidence connected to Ivan's, Dr. Ivan's. That's what I, my, my assessment was, what he was telling us. And um, he didn't believe that Ivan's was the uh, anthrax killer. Uh, he said the evidence was far more exculpatory, which means, you know, he was innocent than uh, the evidence that was gathered, a lot of circumstantial evidence that the FBI had had no direct evidence that he was the guy. But uh, when we talked to the scientists at Fort Dietrich that we were able to talk to, uh, to a person, they were very defensive of, of Ivan's and saying that uh, he didn't do it. He couldn't have done it for a number of reasons. One is they knew him uh, personally, and they'd worked with him for many years, and he wasn't the type of person to do that. And uh, But the, in the practical side of it was that for Dietrich, uh, they didn't do that type of anthrax. As I mentioned before, they did a liquid type that they used for their vaccines. This other uh, type was uh, was sophisticated you needed uh, heavier and bigger fermenters and milling capacity, and you also needed the knowledge to do it. There's a sophisticated microencapsulation, which puts the silicon inside the sort of the, the spore in a way. In the crude and uh, the earlier anthrax, the uh, sil I mean, the silicon was outside, sort of, and uh, now it was sort of embedded inside, and it was it, it was uh, uh, as I said, it was so fine and. The likely suspects, again, uh, they didn't go after, uh, which is like, come on. As soon as he dies, they close the, the, uh, the case down. There was a guy, a fellow named uh, Spurzel, who was an expert in the anthrax, and he was at the Yosemite at the time. He's passed now. But uh, he was just said, isn't that convenient? You know, the guy dies, and they close the case. Uh, and so, in a sense, we want to reopen that case. What we've said, and when we made the announcement in New York the other day, what we were doing, uh, three uh, different areas that at least uh, I mentioned, and, and Mick may want to mention others, uh, and it's Barbara too, was one is that Bruce Ivins was innocent. Two is the FBI uh, investigation wasn't a, uh, a, an honorable investigation. All right? it, was, it, was, it was very obstructive. It was uh, very uh, misguided, it seemed like. It was very deceptive, and it didn't seem to be heading towards trying to get the truth. And, and the indication is the head of it left because of that, right? For some of those reasons, the head of uh, Richard Lambert. And uh, then the uh, third prong that I stress is that uh, the system being as corrupt as it is, unfortunately, and we've seen that up in, you know, throughout all the 9-11 crime scenes, 
is that we need some intercession from Congress here. That formerly uh, Congressman uh, Rush Holt and, and uh, Congressman Madler, they uh, sponsored a bill, uh, I, I think it was 721 House resolution, that eventually, uh, I believe the Obama administration squashed it or didn't go where it was supposed to go. What they wanted to do was set up a national commission to investigate anthrax like they did to the 9-11. And uh, we would stress something like that, or certainly something that had independent counsel. So we're going to to do this uh, now to the Congress. Now, previously, we were going to submit the grand jury petition uh, this weekend. And the reason we didn't is because we got new evidence, and uh, we, we discovered new evidence. So we, we're going to, in addition to a petition to Congress, sometime in October, we're going to go down to Washington and we're going to then present a, a new grand jury petition. So we'll have two grand jury petitions, one in New York, one the World Trade Center uh, controlled demolition evidence of bombs, you know, explosions happening there. And then we'll have another one down in, in Washington, D.C., evidence that the FBI obstructed an investigation, that Bruce Ivins was innocent, and that we are calling on either honest U.S. attorneys or an independent counsel or Congress to get involved. And I'll turn it over to Mick and or Barbara. <laughs> Thanks. Mate, Dave, it's Timothy here. Hey, Before Tim. we move on, and um, we have more real estate in this show. Yesterday evening we were talking for two hours and so we had to keep it a little bit short. But we have the luxury of an extra hour this evening. May I just uh, take a very slight detour uh before we move on too far. I hope hope you don't mind Mick. Um the for a start, let's let's talk anthrax because anthrax is a word, but what does it actually mean to people? What are the symptoms of anthrax? I'd like to just fill up a few data points to make a make an observation. Sure. Yesterday we talked about it, but the listeners may not have heard yesterday's show yet. Um, so, how, how would somebody react to the different types of anthrax? Well, what, the only the only people I know is the people that you know. You read about the accounts of what they went through. Uh, I mean, what I remember, they just start feeling crappy. <laughs> you feel lousy. If, I think you feel at first you're getting the flu or something, but it, it never goes away. You have high fevers. You'll be throwing up and things of that nature. And it's, it sounds like a miserable, totally miserable. I, I think I mentioned uh, when we were speaking that I remember one of the doctors that looked at the, uh, at the, uh, the microscope of the uh, the, the fellow, uh, I think uh, Mr. Stevens, he was the first person to die October 5th. And, uh, you know, he contracted, he felt it at the end of September. He's starting to feel a little lousy. It, it doesn't, it takes a, a number of days before the, it totally hits you. And I believe if you get it early, like within the first 24 hours or so, if you get Cipro or something, you can actually beat it. There's three different types of anthrax. So you're we're talking about inhalation anthrax. That's the real fine stuff that they send to the senators and uh, that will kill you easily. And uh, apparently, uh, we said that there was two different uh, uh, mail. Uh, you know, that one once was sent early in uh, late in the middle of September to New York City, and one was sent uh, three weeks later to uh, to Washington. But there was uh, some uh, scientist says that there was a third one. There may have been to Mr. Stevens down in Florida. And mm -hmm. he uh, was, as I said, the first to die. When they looked at his blood and his, uh, you know, under a microscope, they looked at his lungs. Uh, his lungs, they were like teeming with worms. They're parasites. They're bacteria. It's, it just multiplies, multiplies, multiplies to it. Just, it just 
you know, suffocates you, kills you miserably. Uh, it's, it's, uh, but I can tell you, uh, you know, I didn't really study it. Uh, maybe Mick and, and Barbara, I mean, I follow up on it next time I have that question because this may be an issue for a long time. I'd like to be answer, be able to answer it a little better. But it's a miserable way to die, okay? No, so it, so it is absolutely fatal. I mean, there's no question about it. Most people will pass away from it. Is that no, right? No, no. If I could just jump in. Um, as, Mick, as Mick mentioned, there are two major types. One is inhalation anthrax. That's the deadly one. It, you absolutely have to have an uh, anti-anthrax uh, antibiotic quickly like Cipro, but there are others. If you're allergic to Cipro, some people are, not many. Um, that is very, very deadly. Um, because it gets directly into the lungs. Um, the other kind is cutaneous or on the skin. And I happen to know that the, uh, I, I looked it up once, um, you can just Google it, symptoms of anthrax. Um, cutaneous or skin anthrax, um, one of the main symptoms is little black spots uh, on, your, on your skin. Um, so I happen to know that's one of the symptoms because I had to go get Cipro once because um, anthrax is actually in the soil in many places on Earth, and uh, apparently it's in the soil here in Carmel Valley where I live. I was going to ask you if it's a naturally occurring entity yes. or if it's something which has been man-made. Oh, well, it's naturally occurring, but then they take it and they bioweaponize it, which is what happened especially, my God, with the one trillion spores per gram, extremely fine dried powderized anthrax to this day. The uh, government claims, the FBI and other agencies claim, that they still cannot to this day uh, reproduce that uh, highly bioweaponized anthrax that went to the Senators Leahy and Daschle to this day. They call that reverse engineering, and they said they couldn't do that. that uh, Mr. Lambert told us that. But there's a third type of anthrax, too, and that's an anthrax that if you eat some bad food, you digestive anthrax. Yeah. It's not as uh, serious as the inhalation anthrax. Uh, but you still can die from it. You can probably die from all of them. The the one that I heard that Barbara referred to, it wasn't necessarily little black spots. It was big black sores eventually that can grow. And there is ointments and things that, I mean, there's antibiotics for it. And that becomes like kind of obvious. Uh, but, uh, you know, when we, in talking to some of the, one of the scientists that it was involved here, uh, he, he was telling me about plague. I never knew it. He says there's a couple of cases of plague every year in the United States out west and in, in the southwest. Uh, so there, there are these uh, different, uh, you know, pathogens that we don't even know about. And, uh, you know, because uh, I guess our elevated society is maybe a little cleaner than it used to be. But this anthrax, like Barbara said, was uh, highly processed uh, and it couldn't have even been processed at, uh, at uh, Yosemarid. It had to be processed uh, in a a special, uh, more or less like it seems to me, a military defense type contracting agency where it is a bioweapon. This is the first bioweapon attack, uh, at least on Congress ever, right? And, uh, you know, bioweapons now are, when President Nixon sort of outlawed them in this country, you'd think that was a good thing or he did it for good reasons. Well, certainly it was a good thing. But the reasons he did it, he didn't want the the less powerful countries to get their little atomic bomb. They little because this stuff. If you read accounts of smallpox, it's even worse than anthrax. Smallpox is is is, is really nasty, and uh, uh, so. But they have countries out there right now. Uh, 
have that. You know, they, they do have that. And it, 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 and it may be more than we wanted. There's been a proliferation actually since this period of time where uh, the, a lot of uh, little private uh, research companies started developing. And it's, it's like uncontrollable now. We're going to have a speaker at, at an event tomorrow, Francis Boyle, who wrote the Bioweapons Treaty. He's an attorney, and he's going to talk to us about the, uh, the bioweapons. And he's going to start with the anthrax, but he may end up with uh, COVID and beyond. Uh, you know, we're going to see where he goes with this. But uh, so, uh, I, you know, again, I guess that's what I wanted to say for right, that question right there. Um, I'd like to step in and just say that we were going to bring on Richard and Matt, and it's now 10 to the hour, and we still haven't heard from Mick. Well, but we promised to bring in Richard and Matt for at least 10 minutes in this hour. Right, so that's now. That's right now. I know. So can we do that? Uh, Keith, can you connect us, please? Well, hello. Oh, hi, Richard. (laughs) Hello, Mark. How you doing, Richard? Good, (laughs) How are you? Okay. Good evening, Richard. Hi, everybody. Uh, This is Richard Gage with Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. I'm a 30-year architect uh, and member of the American Institute of Architects and founder of AE 9-11 Truth. Uh, We've been at it for uh, 14 years now. 3,300 architects and engineers demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. Um, today we've been involved uh, in the middle, we're right in the middle of our online conference. We started this conference uh, with uh, uh, Matt Campbell, who's seeking an inquest, and he'll be on the show very shortly, uh, a new inquest into his brother's death. Jeff, his brother, died on the 106th floor of the North Tower on 9-11. He was in a conference there uh, they, they claim that he, is, uh, he, he died as a result of plane impacts and the ensuing fires that brought down the towers. Uh, we have been producing evidence for 14 years, however, that shows that both of the Twin Towers and the third tower that collapsed on 9-11 that hardly anybody knows about, World Trade Center Building 7, uh, all three of those towers were brought down by explosive controlled demolition with incendiaries. And that's what we're going to be spending uh, the next hour at. So I sure hope everybody will join us. But if you can't, I want to give you an opportunity right now to visit our website, which is ae911truth.org, and see the important uh, legal case here. We can take the evidence we've been collecting for 14 years uh, for the explosive demolition and put it into an international court, in this case, the UK. Uh, there, uh, the Attorney General will be reviewing uh, all of this uh, information, uh, which one of the top attorneys in the UK, uh, Nick Stanage of Dowdy Street Chambers, um, uh, who has successfully fought the government on many uh, occasions, very high-level advisor to the UN and a coroner himself. He's looked at our evidence. He agrees uh, strongly that it is irrefutable, that it uh, will almost necessarily require the Attorney General to to recommend a new inquest uh, to the High Court in the UK. So we're very excited about this. 
they're the most expensive attorney uh, that I've heard of, $500 an hour. Un, uh, 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 unbelievable in terms of comparing that with my own salary. <laughs> but <laughs> with these guys are really, really good. And uh, they're going to produce for us for the first time uh, so far. We've got plenty of great irons in the fire with the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, which we're going to be talking about also in the second hour. But um, this is an opportunity to raise the $100,000 that is required for this entire effort. Uh, all that money goes to um, the attorney, to the, 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 the Campbell family for their legal expenses. Uh, so this is a, a, a for sure deal. Uh, you know, nothing's, no one's, the attorney's not going to uh, swear on a stack of Bibles that this will succeed for us. Uh, but he's uh, as confident in it as he has been in anything. Uh, so very, very exciting for us. Matt will be on to tell his story and his brother's story and, uh, and let you know uh, he's met with the attorney himself. Um, and he's very, very impressed. And I've spoken with him myself. And uh, yeah, he's he's the real deal. Uh, so this is what we're 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 about eighty percent of the way to a hundred thousand uh, dollars as a result, maybe eighty five percent as a result of today's uh, conference. In the second hour, we'll have more time to talk about the actual uh, conference. Uh, that is, we're right in the middle of uh, today. We heard from David Ray Griffin uh, along on the same platform as. Niels Harrett. For those of you who know the 9-11 Truth Movement, you know these names and that they have never been on the same platform together. Altogether, uh, Stephen Jones as well, uh, and myself. A very, very exciting and stimulating uh, conversation today. We want you to hear that free. Well, hello. Um, yes. Hi, Matt. Hi, Great Bob. to hear from you. I wanted with, with Skype. <laughs> Wanted to also give you an opportunity, Matt. I've, I've introduced your story to people, what we're trying to accomplish. And uh, before we get to the top of the hour, would you just say uh, hi to people and, and, and tell them uh, uh, a real brief background, and we'll go into more depth in the, in the next hour uh, about your, your story and what you're trying to accomplish with the new inquest. Yeah, um, my name's Matt Campbell. My um, brother died on 9-11. And um, I, I've been questioning um, certain elements of the official narrative going back to sort of as early as sort of November 2001. And um, I've always felt, um, like a, a lot of family members, that we've not really had our, our day in court. And that's not to, to say that every aspect of the official narrative is wrong. It's just, you know, when someone gets murdered, we've always, you know, through watching TV reading books, etc., you expect there to be some sort of a, a attempt at justice and getting to the truth of, of things. And we've just never had that opportunity. Um, when I um, had the inquest, my brother had an inquest uh, in 2013, um, this is on the UK side, you know, that was um, very much just sort of rubber stamping um, what the uh, American uh, authorities had said. And, um, and yeah, I want to challenge that. And it's been a long journey um, to get to this point where I feel that there's a, a very good chance that, you know, some aspects of that official narrative are going to get challenged and, you know, they've got to be able to stand up in court. Um, and it's both, both sides. We've got lots of evidence that says it's different to the official narrative, but 
actually there's a shocking amount of or an absence of evidence um, from the authority side. And again, this is potentially one vehicle um, through the court system to force um, the authorities' hand to actually, you know, show more about what happened um, that day. So I'm, I'm very, very hopeful, and um, you know, my brother would probably think it a bit crazy that I've become this sort of um, activist and um, truth seeker. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I'm doing it. I guess um, for selfish reasons, um, you know, I, I won't let this um, lie. I've got to carry on seeing this through. Um, and you know, I'd, I'd like to think that if it happened to me. Um, you know, someone would be fighting my corner um, to get to the truth. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Um, just excited that, you know, we're, we've got as far as we've got um, in, in trying to reopen my brother's inquest. Matt, we're all in your corner. This is Barbara. And uh, because there was an echo, Richard, um, when you were giving the website for donations to Matt's brother's legal fund, could you repeat that, please? Indeed. It's AE for Architects and Engineers 911truth.org. So that's AE 911truth.org. Thank you. Okay, well, <laughs> we still have some time here. Mick, would you like to get a few words in? Sure. I appreciate the chance. And hi to Matt and hi to Richard. Um, the first thing I want to say is that the Lawyers Committee is supportive of uh, both architects and engineers and Matt. And if we have evidence at our disposal that could be helpful in Matt's effort <clears throat> to get the new inquest, uh, you know, don't hesitate to contact us and we'll do what we can to, to be supportive in that effort. So let me uh, <clears throat> first do a clarification regarding our pardon my voice, new anthrax petition. It is going to Congress. Uh, we're doing some quality control fine-tuning on it at the moment, but it's likely to go out uh, tomorrow, if not Monday. And the purpose, as David mentioned, is to request an independent reinvestigation, uh, first by Congress, possibly by an independent commission. Um, so uh, Barbara had indicated that in addition to our conclusions that that Dr. Ivins was scapegoated, which is, I think, a fair assessment of our petition. Um, and I don't remember Barbara's exact words, but it may have left the impression that we've drawn some conclusions about who the actual perpetrators are. Uh, we haven't gone quite that far, but we have made clear what the evidence is about why the FBI was wrong, at best, in eliminating two particular suspect uh, sources I would call them suspects, but suspect sources of the attack anthrax. One is a military lab, the other is a military contractor lab. And so they were improperly eliminated from the suspects list, which is a big focus of our, our petition. So um, we do, uh, we can explain, and I don't want to interfere with your discussion with Matt and Richard, but we can explain when it's appropriate in the show the details of, our, of what our investigation has come up with evidence-wise on the anthrax issue and why the FBI was at best uh, completely wrong in pointing to Ivan's and eliminating this military lab and contractor lab as the potential source of the attack anthrax. So um, I won't try to force that into the next 60 seconds. 
But let me add a personal note in that 60 seconds about Dr. David Ray Griffin. He and, and Kevin Ryan, who's a chemist and a whistleblower uh, and a friend of mine, were the two people most instrumental in motivating me to get involved in investigating 9-11. And I wouldn't be doing the work with the Lawyers Committee if it weren't for David Ray Griffin's work. So I appreciate his kind words about our work. But he is, uh, you know, the mo motivating force behind a lot of what I and others are doing in the 9-11 in the truth effort. Mick, uh, forgive me, but we're at the top of the hour. If we could come back to you after break. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm -hmm.